Well, there is a man in Rochester, New York, who's 99 years old, who may restore your faith that true, lasting love does exist. Uh, you probably have heard his story if you've watched any TV or read anything on the internet. His, his name is Luther Younger. He's 99 years old, and after 55 years of marriage, he is still deeply in love with his wife and deeply devoted to her, a beautiful lady named Waverly. He calls her his sweetest cup of tea he has ever had. Luther walks, as, at 99, he walks six miles round trip every day in the heat, in the rain, or even in the snow in the wintertime to visit Waverly in the hospital. Every single day, he walks six miles round trip to see her. Uh, Waverly was diagnosed with a brain tumor near, nearly nine years ago, and so she's been in and out of the hospital all of that time. And whenever that happens, Luther is there. He walks to see her. With Waverly in the hospital recently with pneumonia, Luther's daily routine was to walk that three miles to go see her, spend the day with her, and then walk the three miles back home. Now, he could wait for a ride. He could wait uh, and take the bus, but he doesn't want to. And here's what he said, and I quote. He said, I got a wife. I don't want to wait on the bus. I want to get up there and see my wife. That's my cup of tea, and she's sweet too. His six-mile round-trip journey would be too much for a lot of us. And we're not nearly 99. But you know, when you've walked through life with someone for 55 years, what's another six miles? Luther's always sad to see his love, uh, sad to, to have to leave his love, but he knows that tomorrow, rain or shine, warm or cold, he'll be walking to, sweet, walking to see his sweet cup of tea again. Now imagine for a moment, imagine being 99 years old and still deeply in love with your wife. Isn't that what you want? Ladies, isn't that what you want? You want a man to love you so deeply that he will walk six miles to see you and do it every day. So the question is, what do we need to be doing now so that we're heading in that direction? What do we need to be doing now to improve our marriage or to safeguard our marriage or to strengthen our marriage? What do we need to be doing now so that we can move in that direction? You know, I've been a pastor now for uh, 32 years, 32 plus years. And as I've pastored for 32 years, I've, I've done hundreds of weddings. I have no idea how many, but, but I've done hundreds of weddings. And I've never met a married couple that didn't start out happy and in love. I've never stood at the altar with anybody and think, boy, he hates her. I, I've just never seen that. On their wedding day, every time, without exception, for 32 years, on their wedding day, without exception, the bride and the groom are in love, and they're all smiles, and they're all kisses, and they just couldn't be any happier. What they don't realize is that falling in love is the easy part. All it takes is a pulse to fall in love. I mean, with social media, it's never been easier to fall in love. But it's never been more difficult to stay in love. You see, the hard part is not the wedding. The hard part is the marriage. The temptation lots of married couples face is this. You know, when you no longer feel that quiver in your liver, 
we begin to tell ourselves, well, maybe the reason I'm not happy is because I married the wrong person. What I need to do is ditch him or ditch her. I, I need to go find another person. I need to go find the right person. But the odds are not in your favor when you do that. I want you to listen to this. According to Jennifer Baker of Forest Institute, once you go beyond the first marriage, the odds of a lasting marriage get really bad. Listen to what she found out in her study. 60 to 67% of second marriages end in divorce. Listen to this one. 70 to 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So once you go beyond that first marriage, your odds of finding Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, not very good. I don't want you to be like the 80-year-old lady who married her fourth husband recently. I found this on the internet. 80-year-old woman getting married for a fourth time. A reporter questioned her about the four husbands that she had and said, well, what's the occupation of this fourth husband? And she's 80 years old. She's getting married again. She said, well, what's the occupation of, of your fourth husband? And she said, well, uh, he, he's, he owns a funeral home. And so he got a little curious about that. He said, okay, so what's the occupation of your other three husbands? She said, well... Let me think for she said, Well, first husband was a banker. Second one, I was madly in love with him. He was a circus master. And the third one was a minister. Kind of puzzled at her answers. He said, None of those people have anything in common. So why did you marry him? She said, Well, I married number one for the money and two for the show and three to get ready and four to go. <laughs> I mean, if it works, you know. There's probably a better plan than that one, though. Probably a better plan than that one. So what we're going to be talking about today and what we're talking about this month is basically how can we just stay with that one and how can we have a better marriage? Or maybe how can we have even a, a great marriage? I want you to open your Bibles to a text that gives us the answer to the question of how can you and I have a good marriage or even a better marriage, maybe even a great marriage. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. Would you open God's Word to Matthew chapter 22? Now, as you're turning there to Matthew 22, uh, I want to be very clear that this is not a text about marriage. I always want to rightly divide the word of truth with you. And this is not a text written about marriage, but it is a text that applies to every Christian marriage. Now that might sound confusing to you, but it's absolutely true. It's not a text about marriage, but it applies to every Christian who is married. One of the reasons there's so many marriage problems and sometimes divorces is because one or both of the marriage partners ignore what we're going to be looking at today. I want you to listen to me over the Life Center. I want you to listen to what I'm telling you today. Listen carefully. What we're going to be looking at today could very well save your marriage. Not being dramatic, I'm trying to be accurate. What we're going to be looking at today could save your marriage. Or if you have a good marriage... And I hope that you do. What we're going to be looking at today could strengthen your marriage and give you a marriage like you've always wanted. So here's the text. 
A man came to Jesus one day with an intriguing question. And in Matthew chapter 22, we begin looking at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this is not a new question. The scribes have debated that question. In the days of Jesus, the scribes had debated that question for centuries. They had developed and discovered 613 different commandments in the, in the law. As they, here's what happened. As they read the, the five books of Moses, the, what we call the Pentateuch, as they read through the first five books of the Old Testament, they began to notice different commandments in those laws beyond the Ten Commandments. And, and the scribes came up with 613 different commandments that they found in the law in the first five books of the Old Testament. 248 of those commandments were positive. 365 of those commandments were negative. And they were also divided into the heavy and the light commandments. So no person could ever hope really to know all of those, much less live out all of those. So this man's question was very relevant, and it was very practical. Of all that the Bible commands us to do, which should be our greatest priority? So Jesus gave a clear and a concise answer to to this man as well as to the ages. What he said is so relevant. What he said is so practical for your life, for your marriage, and for mine. Jesus said that our greatest priority is this. Look at verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus said our greatest priority is to love God totally. That is, if you were to try to summarize everything the Bible teaches, it is this, love God totally. If you were to try to take all the commandments that are found in the Old Testament, try to summarize everything that the Bible says in those first five books and all the commandments he said to that, to that scribe, here it is. I'll summarize it all for you. Just love God totally. That is your first and greatest priority. A love relationship with God, Jesus said, is more important than any other single factor in your life. Or to put it another way, if you could just concentrate on one thing to do for God, the greatest thing you could ever do for him would be to love him with all of your heart. Now, could I ask you a question? If you were standing before God, could you honestly describe your, your relationship with him this way? God, I love you with all of my heart. Whether you're married, never married, widowed, it doesn't matter. The question is still the same. Right now, today, honestly, in the Life Center, ask yourself this question. Could I honestly say, I love God with all of my heart. I love God with no reservation. I love God with nothing held back. I absolutely love God. You know what some would say if they're very, very honest? And good people would say this. You know what they would say? Some of you might say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I, I serve God. I, I believe in God. I worship God. I give to God. But I don't know. I don't know that I could say, God, I just love you totally. And if you look at the standards of I, I, I believe in God and I serve God and I give to God and I worship God, by those standards, 
you may feel pretty good about yourself. But I want to tell you something. The only standard that really matters is God's standard. And God said, here is the standard. I want you to love me with all of your heart. Now, here's why it matters for your life and for your marriage. You need to get this. When we fail to love God like we should, our lives get out of order. Let me say that again. I want to make sure you get it. Over the Life Center, I want to make sure you get this. When we fail to love God the way that we should, our lives get out of order. Look what he said in verse 38. This is the first and greatest commandment. In, in, in other words, in the divine order of things, loving God is foundational to everything else in your Christian life. Hear that, church. Listen to that. In God's order, He said, loving Him is foundational to everything else in your life. Now, what does this mean for your marriage? Well, I want to borrow the words of Craig Rochelle, something I heard him say. I want to borrow his words. Let me summarize. Here's what it means for your marriage. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. If you just take the teaching of the text and apply it to your marriage, here's how you can apply it. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. Would you say this with me? We put it on the screen. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. Only three of you said it. I hope you all did better in the Life Center than these folks did. All right, let's try it one more time. It's on the screen. You can read it, right? All right. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. Think about how we talk. Remember back when you were a teenager? I mean, for some of you, it's been a while, but think about, think about how you went home to your mom. Mom. Mom, I met this guy. Or, or Mom, I, I, I met this girl. Mom, she is so sweet. Mom, she is so pretty. Mom, she is so godly. Mom, I think she might be the one. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that. And I'm pretty sure I said that about Lisa. Nothing wrong with saying that. But if you really want to be biblical... A better way of talking would be this. I met this sweet girl. She is so sweet. She is so pretty. She is so godly. I think she might be the two. That's really more biblical. It really is because when you, when you look at the text, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He didn't say, love your spouse with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He essentially said, God is your one. Make Him one in your life. God is your one. Love Him first and foremost. God is your one. Love Him more than anything or anyone. Then Jesus spoke about a second commandment. It's interesting, the guy only asked for one. He said, what's the greatest one? Says this, Jesus said, well... Let me give you two. You asked for one, but let me give you two. He said, the, look at the text. He said, this is verse 38. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it or similar to it. The second is, is, is very similar to it. And here's the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. What's those, what's those last two words? Love your neighbor how? As yourself. Now, I'm going to show you why I believe that this is a very good marriage text. Follow carefully. Put your finger in Matthew 22 and go over with me to Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be coming back, Lord willing, to Ephesians 5 next Sunday. But I just want to read you a couple of verses in Ephesians 5. In Matthew 22, he said, here's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor how? Say it again. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. Let's start at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then skip down to verse 28. He amplifies that. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Sounds familiar? Skip down to verse 33. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. As he loves himself. Just Paul was simply echoing what Jesus said in Matthew 22. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when your spouse is your number one, you've got things out of priority. When your children are number one, You've got things out of priority. If you want to know why you might be struggling in your marriage, maybe it's because you need to ask yourself this question. First of all, is God my number one? Am I loving God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? Am I loving God? Is He the most important thing in my life? That's foundational. Is God my number one? And then second question is, and is my spouse my number two? You know, if people are honest, some some married couples would have to say, no, my spouse is not my number two. My job is my number two. Or they would have to say, you know, if I really am am honest, my spouse is not my number two. My children are my number two. I want you to hear me well. That is not biblical. When you put your children ahead of your spouse, you are setting yourself up for marriage problems. I, told, I have literally said this to my children. I said, one day you're moving out, but your mom's staying. So guess who is a greater priority in my life? Your mother is. I told every one of them that. And here's what I found out. When they know that I, how much I love their mother, they don't mind being number three. You ask any of my kids, does Keith love Lisa? I think they would say, oh yeah. Not a perfect man, but he loves Lisa. We don't mind that we're number three. See, God's got an order. And the order is, love him first, love him most. God is your number one. And your spouse is your number two. And here's the reason. When you put somebody else at number one, anybody, then you're trying to ask them to do something they can't do because no person can give you that kind of happiness. No person can give you that kind of satisfaction. No person can do for you what only God can do. When you try to make your spouse or your kids or your boyfriend or your girlfriend your number one, in reality, what you're doing is you're idolizing them. They're taking God's place in your life. It's so easy for teenagers to do this. And I know I've got a lot of teenagers over in the Life Center. It's so easy for teenagers to do this, to, to, let, to let a boyfriend or a girlfriend become more important than God in their life. Because the boyfriend or the girlfriend is somebody they want to have a relationship with. And, and it's so easy to compromise who you are in order to get them or to hang on to them. And all of a sudden, God drops way down the list. He's no longer one. 
Life works better. Life just works better when God is your one and your spouse is your two. Now, let me talk for a moment to a couple of different groups of people because I've tried always to say, Lord, how do I make this applicable to a lot of people? Got all kinds of ages and stages of life and and all three services. How, How do I make this applicable to lots of different people? So I want to talk for just a few moments to a a couple different groups. First of all, I want to start with those who are not married, but one day would like to be. Maybe there's some of you here today in this service or over in the Life Center. You're not yet married, but one day you would like to be. How do you apply this text to your situation? Here's your commitment. I will seek the one while I'm preparing for my two. I'm just going to seek the one. I'm, I'm going to seek him. I'm not going to seek a spouse. I'm not going to college to seek a spouse. I'm going to seek the one while I prepare myself for the two. And please, please, please hear this. I've seen so many college students do this. Please hear this. Don't compromise your convictions. Don't compromise your character. Don't compromise your sexual purity trying to get that guy or get that girl. Don't put them number one when only God should be number one. So here's your commitment today that I'm asking you to make. I will seek the one while I'm preparing for my two. Honor God, seek God, love God, serve God, please God as you seek your two. Here's a second group of people I'd like to talk to. I'd like to say a word to those who are widowed. For those of you who are widowed, here's what I would say to you today. Your commitment of this text could be this one. I will seek the one and thank him for my two. That I can still live this text out. I can still seek God and love him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. And I'm not going to let the fact that my spouse is no longer with me hinder my relationship with God. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to put him number one. I'm going to serve him as number one. I'm going to let God be number one in my life. And then I'm going to thank him for the number two that he brought in my life for all those years. And then to those who are married whether you have a very strong marriage or whether you have a marriage that is on the rocks right now. I have a a statement for you as well. Here's what I'd like for you to say. I will seek my one with my two. I will seek my one with my two. Imagine the impact that would have if together... You're seeking the Lord. If together, He's first in your life. Maybe your marriage is on the verge of collapse. Imagine the difference it would make if you were both deciding, I will seek the one with my two. So, Pastor, practically speaking, how do we do that? It sounds good, but practically speaking, how can we seek God together? We'll suggest two things to you. Number one, I'm, I'm going to suggest you first have to determine, is God number one in your life? Do you love God with all of your heart? Do you love him as supreme in your life? If not, that's where you start. God, I, I want to love you. I want you to be number one in my life. I, I want to make sure i got my priorities in order. And God, you are my priority. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I, I want to give you some homework. Some of you are not going to like it, and you're not going to like me. 
probably the guys. You're not going to like this homework. Here's the homework I'm going to challenge you with. I'm going to challenge you to pray together with your spouse for five of the next seven days. You say, well, why, why five of the next seven days? Because I know guys. If you, don't, if you miss a day, you'll say, forget it, we already blew it. So I'm going to give you a little grace there, all right? I'm going to give you a little wiggle room. You know, it's like, okay, we messed up, but we, we can still do it. We can still get five days in. So, and you're going to be busy, and you're going to forget it one day. So, so try to shoot for five days out of the next seven that you're going to pray together, seeking your one with your two. Well, well what if my spouse is not a believer? Then over the next seven days, pray for your spouse. If you can't pray with them, pray for them. What if my spouse doesn't want to do it? Then you spend the next five of the next seven days praying for your spouse as you seek your one. What if you're not married? Then you pray for God to send the right kind of person with you or to you. So over the next five to seven days, you're praying for God to send the right person to, for you to marry one day so that you can seek him together. But Pastor, it's just so awkward. It's just so awkward to pray together. I know. This for me too. You can do it. You can do it. You may have to start out with, now I lay me down to sleep. God, I, I just pray that you'll help us do this together. You may have to start with your, at, at dinner time, just praying together at dinner time. Say, honey, as we thank the Lord for our food, what can I pray with you about? You may want to start by tomorrow morning before they go off to work saying, listen, before you go run off to work, let's pray together. You say, but pastor, we don't even like each other. And that's exactly why you need to pray together. Because listen to me, I've seen it, I've felt it, I've experienced it. You take the hand of your spouse and you go before the Holy Father in prayer. It is one of the most intimate things you'll ever do with your spouse. It really is. And it's powerful. And it's hard to be mad at somebody you're praying for and praying with. It's hard to divorce somebody you're praying for and praying with. It's hard to resent somebody you're praying for and praying with. Let me give you some quick stats and then I'm going to close. Family Life did a survey of, a, of thousands of Christian couples. And as they surveyed these thousands of Christian couples, they found something very, very interesting. They found that only 8% of Christian couples pray together. Only eight, in other words, 92% of Christian couples do not pray together. So they found 8% of Christian couples pray together. Then they studied that 8%. You know what they found? Of those 8% that pray together, less than 1% got a divorce. See, it's really hard to walk away from someone when, you, when you're praying with them and for them. I want you to go back in time to your wedding. Go back for us, it was May 21st, 1983. You stood likely in a church, oh, it could have been in a park, or it could be at a justice of a peace house, or, but you stood somewhere in front of some people, 
Lots of you probably stood in front of family and friends, and you definitely, all of you who were married, stood before God. As you're standing there before family and friends and God, you probably said these words, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You know what you said on your wedding day? You didn't even realize you were saying it probably because you're so in love. You're so happy. You're so thrilled for the day. You probably didn't even realize what you were saying. But what you were saying is this. This is not going to be easy. There will be some hard times. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You know what you're saying? This is not going to be easy but we are not going to bail out either. Death do us part. Now is the time to live out what you said so many years ago. Now is the time to open your Bible, go back to Matthew 22, and look where Jesus said, the first thing in your life is God. And the second thing in your life is to love that, that person near you like you love yourself. That is where you need to start in your marriage. I'm going to love God first and foremost. Then I'm going to love that person next to me, my spouse, the way I love myself. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And make sure you keep it in that order. Let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for those people here over in the Life Center. And for some of them, Lord, they may recognize God's not number one in my life. And I pray, God, if they're a Christian, that they'll come in repentance. That they'll come and, and just pour out their heart and come back to you. And, and maybe they might recognize, Lord, that they don't even know you as Savior, that they've never truly trusted you as Lord and Savior. And I pray today would be that day, that today would be the day where they decide God will be number one in my life. I will trust Him as my Savior and as my Lord. I will live my life for Him. I surrender myself to Him. God is my number one from this day forward. Father, we pray for marriages in our church, that marriages will be restored. We pray, God, that marriages will be strengthened. We pray, God, that marriages will become stronger and better than they've ever been. And we pray for those that are on the verge of collapse or for those who have separated. God, we pray that the enemy would not have victory. We pray that in each of our lives, you would help us to live in such a way that Jesus is number one and then would follow you. We pray that in His name. Amen.